T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. Blast off into the potosphere with DGP nominal. All systems remain nominal. 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 Hello everybody and welcome to this special episode of TGP Nominal, your monthly look at all things science fact and science fiction. Joining me from the other side of the pond is my regular co-host, John Berger. How's it going, sir? Hello! It's just doing splendiferous. How about you? Yeah, it's great. A lot going on at the moment and um, that suits me fine, really, because I'd rather be busy than not. That's very true. (laughs) Now, you might be wondering why this episode is so special. Well... It's our first birthday, and it's also the start of World Space Week. Those of you who have been following us since the start might recall that we launched TGP Nominal as an official World Space Week event, and to keep in with the spirit of the occasion, we have registered our first birthday podcast as one as well. Each year from October the 4th to October the 10th, the global space community celebrates the UN-declared World Space Week. Over 70 nations hold events to promote space and inspire students and in 2014 there are over 1500 world space week events reported and a hundred million social media posts relating to the event so it's it's quite a big thing to do Um, and we thought well we've got to do this (laughs) (laughs) so a big welcome to everyone who has joined us from the world space week website now as i said it's our first birthday and We've covered so much in our first year, haven't we, John? Absolutely. Well, it's been an incredible year for space well, and science fiction, both of them. Yeah, and, and for us uh, in, in particular, I mean, the, the things that we've, we've done and um, the people that we've interviewed... I mean, I know for a fact there's one person in particular that you didn't think we would be speaking to. Oh, I, I still smile when I think about the fact that I was actually talking with Richard Garriott. That's just mind-blowing. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. And all on the back of a tweet. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing how these things work. Not to mention we've we got the people from Yuri's Night. That's, we had Loretta Whitesides and also Ryan Kobrick, um, who came on board and embraced the podcast. And um, we had a great time with them. Who else have we had on the show? We had Steph Evs, didn't Steph we? Steph Evs, yep. Yeah, um, that was the interview that you covered. Um, and she enjoyed coming on the show. We covered the uh, Wickham Comic Con. Where we met met so many different. A lot of Comic Cons. (laughs) Yeah, but we actually went to that one. So it was, you know, a lot of Star Wars based people and also Chris Barry from um, Red Dwarf. And I've made so many contacts there, which uh, a few of them I'm going to be meeting again soon when we go to the Field of Force Day. Not this weekend coming, the weekend after. And also uh, we had um, Doug Millard from the Science Museum who was talking to us about the Cosmonaut exhibition that's um, just opened at, at the Science Museum. Also the uh, Letchworth and District Astronomical Society, which I actually got right that time. I didn't during the recording. 
Um, oh, you know. For the uh, solar eclipse earlier in the year. And it's just amazing that uh, we've been going um, a year and um, there's so much more to cover. And um, it's it's been fun, hasn't it? It's been a lot of fun. I mean, this is this is good stuff. And and as you say, 2015 has been such an amazing year for the space community. Oh God, Pluto, Pluto! Definitely. Pluto. And, and, and to think that a year ago, a year ago, it was still just this spot in the sky that we had no information about. Mm-hmm. And and not to mention the fact that we've also had the Rosetta mission as well in the, in that yeah. time scale. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, two of the most amazing missions that you can probably think of. Uh, I mean, and then the moons of, of, of Saturn and, and so forth. It's just, it's just amazing what's been going on. Yeah. What an awesome age to live in. It is. And, and it's it's getting more and more exciting by the day, really. Um, there's always new discoveries. We've got uh, the new rocket launches all the time. Um, I've just been reading an article about um, SpaceX's um, the Mars Colonial Transporter. Mm. It's huge. It, it's going to be bigger than the Falcon Heavy. <laughs> and that's big. Because <laughs> that's bigger than the Saturn yeah. V. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's such an amazing time right when we come back we're going to be talking a little bit more about what's been going on in the universe basically hi i'm matt damon i play astronaut mark watney in the martian in the story my character is accidentally stranded on mars sending people to mars and returning them safely is the challenge of a generation the whole world held its breath when the Curiosity rover landed in 2012. The boot prints of astronauts will follow those rover tracks, thanks to innovations happening today. NASA's journey to Mars begins on the International Space Station, some 250 miles overhead, where we're learning how humans can thrive over long periods without gravity. Future round trips to Mars could take 500 days or longer. This year, NASA launched the first one-year mission to the International Space Station to help prepare for those future journeys. Here at home, people are working across the country on the new Orion spacecraft and Space Launch System rocket that will carry astronauts farther than ever before. When we invent new technologies for exploration, it benefits all of humanity. But more than that, the journey to Mars will forever change our history books, rewriting what we know about the Red Planet and expanding a human presence deeper into the solar system. Follow NASA's journey to Mars at www.nasa.gov. This is the BBC Home Service. Here is the news. First is the big news for this past week, and that is, of course, the fact that they now have determined that there actually is liquid water on Mars. There actually is water on Mars. Um, this is one of those things that's been speculated for a long time, and they've now decided, yep, it actually is happening. And so this was all courtesy of NASA's Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, which has been doing so much regarding Mars lately. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> They used the imaging spectrometer, and uh, they were just looking at various minerals on the slopes where these uh, mysterious streaks have been showing up, and they've determined that 
they darken and appear to flow based on the seasons and based on the temperature on the surface. So uh, according to this, John Grunsfeld, who's an astronaut and associate administrator of NASA's Science Mission Directorate uh, in D.C., said, Our quest on Mars has been to, quote-unquote, follow the water in our search for life in the universe, and now we have convincing science that validates what we've long suspected. This is a significant development as it appears to confirm that water, albeit briny, is flowing today on the surface of Mars. So what happened is that they've found uh, hydrated salts um, on the surface, and that's why it's it's not quite at freezing temperature or or you know normal because the salinity of the water changes when it can actually do that. But still, the fact that they've discovered that once the surface temperature reaches a certain point, that all of a sudden these flows start, and then once it goes below that, the flows stop, which you know obviously is confirmation. And it's right around where water would be. They, they found that the spectral signatures were caused by hydrated minerals called perchlorates, which is things like magnesium perchlorate, magnesium chlorate, sodium perchlorate. And so that's what's been infused into this water. The perchlorates is also that has been found on Mars before. The Phoenix Lander, uh, the Curiosity rover, both found them, and they believe that the Viking missions from the 70s also found these salts on the surface. So all of this tends to match up. It, it, it took a long time to get this one solved, but there really is water on Mars, which for regular people like us is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But for Doctor Who fans, they're probably shaking in their boots right now, <laughs> saying no, 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 no. Don't drink the water. The waters of Mars, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So now that's the good news. It also changes the the plot a little bit of the the Martian. You know... Yeah, that's going to be coming out this... Is that already out over there? Uh, it came out today, I think. Okay, it's, it's out this weekend. So maybe it is out today, but I know it's definitely for this weekend. So, but now that was the good news regarding the water flow. The bad news is that they can't use the rovers to go and find out more about it. For, I mean, because the, the one explorer is only about 50 kilometers away. Mm-hmm. Uh, notice I said kilometers, not kilometers. <laughs> <laughs> so they figure, well, look, we've got an explorer there. Let's just have it go over. The problem is, even though liquid water is present, they can't use the rovers uh, for a couple of reasons. The main one is that they're not sterile enough. So according to... Um, Swinburne University astronomer Alan Duffy, that's in uh, Australia, I believe, he says, uh, all of our spacecraft carry microbes from Earth. We try our best to sterilize them by putting them in an ultraviolet tanning salon, but a very intense one. Apparently, the level of sterilization that would be needed to allow the rovers uh, to go and examine this water would it would be intense enough that it would basically fry the rover. Okay. So they can't do that <laughs> so um, they just they just can't do anything with that plus the slopes themselves are too steep and the rovers don't have any kind of dna sequencers on board so sure they might be able to figure out the salinity and so forth but i mean the whole purpose for this really is to also determine if there is life or the capability of life and the, the rovers don't even have that in, that instrumentation on board so there is another uh, rover due to be set up on t- in the year tw- 2020, but it's too late now in its planning and development cycle to include a DNA uh, sequencer. So that can't happen. But, but ESA's ExoMars mission in 2018 will launch a Mars rover with an organic molecule analyzer. So maybe, maybe 
if I guess if they can get that to get over to that area of Mars, they might be able to find something. You never know. Could be another first for Issa, then. It could be. Mm. You know, that is, of course, if it doesn't uh, crash on the surface. Well, yeah, that's that's cause this this one hasn't got any <laughs> British involvement in it, so it should be okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was not fair. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, yeah, you know, it was there. You, you can take lots of pot shots at NASA too. They've had their mistakes and SpaceX. <laughs> Actually, you know, that's that is one thing about about uh, the past year or two. Been a lot of space problems rockets blowing up and oh, not yeah. achieving orbit and- um i think as, as we mentioned in past uh podcasts that's right across the board from pretty much every space agency that's yeah big news space agencies all of them had problems because as i was corrected when i went to the uh, space center in leicester when i asked the question how many countries have got a space agency and i was corrected by saying it's, it'd be better to ask how many countries don't have a space agency. <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, ESA is, is a conglomerate. Yeah. You know, really, India has their own, China has their own, Japan has their own. So, yeah, I understand what he's saying. <laughs> now, unless you've been living under a rock, um, I think everyone knows about the lunar eclipse that took place on September 27th. Yes. Um, now, a lunar eclipse, for those who don't know, uh, is also known as a blood moon, which occurs when the moon passes directly behind the Earth into its shadow. This can only occur when the sun, the Earth, and the moon are aligned. They don't have to be perfectly aligned, but it's got to be pretty close. Now, the one that took place on the 27th was a special one because it coincided with a supermoon, which is when the moon is in the closest part of its orbit to the Earth, meaning that it appears larger in the sky. Now, the last time that this happened was back in 1982 and will not happen again until 2033. Now, you managed to get some pictures, um, didn't you? I got so lucky on that one because for the the entire week before it was gorgeous and sunny and clear but then that night was when they were predicting a lot of cloud cover a lot of rain and all of that i was so angry and yeah i know first world problems (laughs) (laughs) but you know at at about 10 30 that night eastern i went out and i looked and i actually saw a sliver because by that time the eclipse had started I was like, oh, wait, look at that. And I called my wife and I called my oldest daughter because she'd never seen anything like that before. And you could see that it would fade in, it would fade out and so forth. But to the south, we saw this big clearing of practically no clouds. And I was like, that's heading right to it. So I I ran inside and got my SLR camera and got everything set up. And sure enough, maybe two minutes before the eclipse was at its max at about which would be about 1047 eastern the skies at that part were clear i was like this is amazing <laughs> got a bunch of pictures with it I and mean, it still wasn't as good as it could have been because i remember the, the, the last solar eclipse i got pictures of that too and they came out really nice because it was a perfectly clear sky mm-hmm. in this case it wasn't overcast you could still see the stars and so forth but you could tell that there was still a, a haze so the pictures didn't come out as well but nonetheless got them and then like 10 minutes later solid cloud cover again well 
I had the exact opposite here because we had really clear skies in the UK. The problem for me was that I've got a balcony where I do my observations from because the time of night that it was here uh, when it was at its maximum which would have been uh, 3.47 in the morning (laughs) the moon is round the other side of the building by that time (laughs) Don't you have roof access? Uh, I'm. It's not that easy. Uh, <laughs> I could have gone out uh, onto the precinct out the the front of the building. Now the problem with that is we have CCTV. Now if I was out there at that time in the morning <laughs> with a camera <laughs> in the precinct, oh uh, come on! I can guarantee you they there would have been... known that the eclipse wasn't <laughs> happening at that time. <laughs> There must be lots of CCTV footage out there of people just going out looking at the sky. <laughs> there must have been. Um, I can guarantee you there would have been a squad car out the front, somebody coming up to me and saying, excuse me, sir, what are you doing? Really? <laughs> All you have to do is just look at him and say, look, up in the sky. You know, <laughs> it's a bird, it's a plane, it's a supermoon. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I think you're a little bit paranoid on that one, but who knows? I mean, hey, we're the ones with the cops who... No, never mind. I'm not going there. Um, Apparently, uh, according to reports that I've seen, the UK has got the most amount of uh, CCTV cameras in, in the rest of the world. Doesn't surprise me. So I decided to go online and go onto the SLU um, observatory, oh. who had trouble with cloud cover. So they were connected to the Basingstoke Astronomical Society in the UK. So <laughs> I was watching a relay from America, from the UK. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the wonders of the internet. Yeah, it was great though, because whilst the, the good thing for me. Uh, even though I couldn't actually see the moon from my location, because it was so dark on this side of the building, I could see other uh, celestial bodies. So I could see, you know, Orion's belt quite clearly and, and other things. It was it was really quite good. We got completely lucky. That's We were just in the right place for that break in the clouds to come by. And I remember we let uh, my uh, 15-year-old daughter, we, we asked her to come out, and she was like, oh, my God, yes. And uh, she was just totally thrilled because she had never seen that before. And, of course, it was past her bedtime, but we didn't care. You know, if she if we can get her involved in science, great. You know, or even, you know, photography, whatever. Well, but, yeah. Uh, something related to that. And she was just tickled pink that we let her stay up to watch that. And the fact that it cleared up enough that we could see it. She was absolutely thrilled. It is amazing to see. It really is amazing. As I'm sure you know, the the newest thing when it comes to home entertainment is Ultra HD TV, sometimes mistakenly called 4K TV. Mm -hmm. Um, Just to differentiate, 4K is the format for recording. Ultra HD is the format for displaying. That's a minor technicality, I suppose. Uh, But NASA is going to be the first to launch an Ultra HD consumer channel for North America. So they're going to be offering all of their footage in Ultra HD content, uh, and it's going to be involving, uh, well, they're going to take video generated by the the ISS, by the Hubble, other NASA missions and so forth. Uh, They say that they're going to be using remastered footage, which I'm assuming means it's going to come from film, because, I mean, otherwise it would be crappy upscaling. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that they're going to be taking it from from film and then remastering that for Ultra HD. And then they also plan on including live launches. So could you imagine watching those in Ultra HD? 
Yeah, that would be... That would be amazing. It would it would be. I mean, I remember the first time I actually saw um, nature programs in, you know, in high def. Um, yeah. I was blown away by that, so... <laughs> right now, uh, it's expected to launch on November 1st. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, <laughs> but they actually do have a, t- a test signal going on right now. Uh, if you have access to AMC-18C uh, satellite you should be able to, to tune that in. Yeah, that would be so cool just to see whatever NASA does in Ultra HD. Yeah, because... Be very cool. They're starting to um, put videos up on YouTube that are in that kind of format now, aren't they? In- yeah, I think they finally get it. I think they actually get it. I don't know who's in charge of their social media and so forth, but they really seem to understand it now. You know, just like the first real uh, high-res image that they had of Pluto was actually put on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And they didn't tell anybody, but yet it just exploded from there. You know, and so now they're saying, hey, you know, we're putting all this other footage up on the Internet. Oh, hey, the Pluto thing. Yeah, we're going to do all that live. And and, and now say, hey, we're going to have our, you know, the first consumer ultra HD channel in North America. It's like, wow, NASA on the surface. That's just like, wow, that's really kind of weird. But. Hey, someone's got to do it. I mean, that is the kind of thing that it was made for, <laughs> really, yeah. when you think about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have... None of my TVs are Ultra HD, and I, I doubt that I'll upgrade anytime soon. Well, if anything, maybe that's a reason to go Ultra HD on your PC. Yeah. yeah. 4K just... monitors aren't that expensive anymore. They're getting lower. You know, you just have to have a PC that can actually push the data out. Yeah, that's the thing. Excuse to upgrade. Yeah, it certainly is. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. Now, again, they're saying North America, so they're looking for the various cable companies to, to supply the signal. And uh, I don't doubt that they'll have a streaming option, like through Roku or Chromecast or whatever. But, uh, yeah, there you go. That would actually be really cool to see. Now, I'm going to say two words to you and ask the question... Do they mean anything to you? Oh, oh, it's a trap. (laughs) The two words are British Rail. Uh, Paul Stoneman. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) He comes into mind. (laughs) (laughs) Now, would you associate a railway network with space? No. (laughs) Well, I discovered something about British Rail this week, and it really blew me away. Have a listen to this. I'm on Marlebone Road in London. The building behind me is now the Landmark Hotel, but for many years it was the headquarters of British Rail, the government organisation that ran every one of the country's railways. And apparently in the 1970s they also had designs on space travel because they patented a flying saucer. I'm not kidding, this wasn't just one slightly unhinged employee. The, The patent mentions the inventor, the wonderfully named Charles Osmond Frederick, but it is registered to the company at their office. They paid an agent to file it for them. It took more than a year between the first filing and the final submission, and it's detailed. It goes on about how they'll use lasers to ignite material for nuclear fusion, and then use magnetic fields to deflect those particles, to use them for thrust. I mean, the physics is questionable at best and utterly unrealistic at worst, but... Every so often, this gets dug up and shown up as an example of being ridiculous, optimistic. But here's the thing. The patent was granted. Patent offices are massively overworked with years of backlog to examine. Each application requires a search through the catalogue to make sure that no one has filed anything like it before. Examiners aren't experts in all the fields they're looking at. They're just checking for originality. 
it's quite interesting to look at the published patents. There are mostly big corporations churning out minor variations on ideas, but occasionally you will see a lone garden shed inventor patenting a, a bizarre idea or an unrealistic dream. And although the official policy of both the UK Patent Office and the US Patent Office is to reject something as ludicrous as, say, a perpetual motion machine, you can patent something that isn't possible yet, but might be in future. And at the height of the space race, after we'd gone from Sputnik to a man on the moon in just over 10 years, was it plausible that British Rail might have a fleet of flying saucers in the far-off space years of the 1990s? Probably not, but that wasn't for the patent examiner to decide. Assuming you renew your patent regularly, you've got a maximum of 20 years to make it and profit from it, before it expires and anyone can make your invention. Which is what happened to the flying saucer, so if any of you would like to make a space vehicle powered by a laser-ignited fusion reactor, you are entirely within your rights to do so, at least in Britain. <laughs> and it, it, it actually wow. does exist. I've been onto the website for the patent office. I've got the patent number and everything. And I've got a PDF of the actual documents. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. I'm sorry. I, I had to laugh at the one point because you know, obviously we've got a difference in pronunciation on that one. And I love how he talked about the UK Patent Office and the US Patent Office. I was like, really? You had to switch it for that? Really? <laughs> wow. But, yeah, I'm going to put That's neat. a copy of the PDF in the show notes uh, so that everyone can have a look at this. It's, it's absolutely remarkable. I, I heard about it on the radio um, in, in the week, and I just stopped what I was doing and went, really? <laughs> British well, you know, rail. <laughs> I saw maybe this is related to it. I saw something a couple of of months ago, and it was a similar kind of story that was just like, yeah, okay, right. But it was a flying saucer kind of thing, and it was tethered to the equivalent of a rail car, mm-hmm. and then that would actually be what the the people would ride in. So yeah, it would use rail tracks to pull this thing along but the actual unit itself would have been an air transport and it did look like a flying saucer and it would actually come down and vertically land on the platform to let people off i wonder if it was or at least related to that it could be in no nuclear fusion <laughs> lasers well <laughs> Okay, somebody had a good imagination. The the actual um, application was submitted in 1970, so they must have had some kind of working model or something in the late 60s for them to um, submit it, um, and then it was granted in 1973. It's just strange. I mean, I mean, these guys were coming up with ideas for flying saucers yet they can't even get a train to run on time (laughs) (laughs) well you know i guess they kind of had the uh microsoft mentality don't fix what's there just come out with something new (laughs) (laughs) but um this pretty much dissolved when um the government decided to privatize the rail networks uh now we have trouble with that's funny (laughs) now we have trouble with um leaves on the line and um, the wrong kind of snow and um, 
all these other excuses for trains being late. Wait, leaves on the line? Really? <laughs> yep, yep. Is that legit? <laughs> that, that is legit. <laughs> that is an excuse that British... Well, the one of the well, rail network... I mean, is the excuse legit? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know enough about trains and physics and so forth, but I would think that a multi-ton train really isn't going to give a rat's rear end about a leaf on the rail. Well, if you put it that way, you look at the uh, the, the trains that take the Soyuz rockets um, to the launch pads um, as, as a good luck thing. They put coins on the train tracks to, for them to press as they go over the, uh, over the track. Yeah, I think a coin is a lot more durable than a leaf. Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> So I, I, I don't get it. And the wrong kind of snow? <laughs> yeah, but... Huh? Well, unless... unless Well, no, no, wait, wait, wait. Even though it is this massive multi-ton train, if you've got a whole bunch of the wet, sloppy stuff... Oh, come, uh, yeah, it can make the, the wheels slip. Have to yeah. have some issues pushing itself through that. Mm, I, can, I can get that. So that I can kind of understand, but leaves? Really? <laughs> <laughs> we, we should get a hold of Paul and try to find out from you know yeah from him about that yeah paul would be happy to talk about trains <laughs> no kidding <laughs> pluto of course pluto. oh my <laughs> god the, the, well now they finally started to push back some of the higher resolution stuff and it's mind-blowing absolutely mind-blowing the, the one that they pushed was the uh, backlit panorama from after it, it had passed so it turned around and then took a picture of, of you know with the, with the sun now in way in front and just the native resolution of this image was 3420 by 1460 the thing was 50 to 60 megs in size and it's just it, it all comes back to we knew so little about this thing just a few months ago and now all of this footage is coming back and it's amazing just the details that they've got um, for the surface and the various mountain ranges and this is just nuts and they're even starting to come back with some higher resolution photos of the various moons and I'm just thinking yeah, with all the data that we've got so far that is just scrape your, bla your brains off the wall when you're done mm -hmm. and we've still got another 10 or 11 months of data for it to, to push back at us this is just amazing stuff it's, it's a lot of um, a lot of data isn't it really when you think about it oh yeah and especially when it only can come down at what one I think it was what one kilobit or one kilobyte a second something like that really ridiculously slow speeds mm -hmm. but just just the, the data that's coming back some of the pictures of these are they're just it's just amazing yeah, certainly are. Yeah. Just... They've already started to make animated flybys that you can, you know, watch and, and actually just see it go over. And it looks like it's right there in 3D. And it's just because that's how good the data is. And what's what's really weird is that, I don't want to say weird, but you figure this is 10-year-old technology. And it's returning data of this quality. Mm. I would love to see what it could do with modern technology. Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot has changed in um, the capabilities of, you know, with lenses and, and whatnot. Oh. It very quickly, it's the, that, that technology has changed dramatically. I mean, you've only got to look at your mobile phones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the new iPhones just came out and the new 
uh, Google Nexus phones were just announced, and you figure one of those is thousands, millions, if you want to, well, definitely thousands of times more powerful than the old Commodore 64. Mm. In the palm of your hand. Yeah. I mean, there's that, um, uh, it's been doing the rounds for a few years of um, all the different products you would need in the 1980s to do what your mobile phone does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need, like, hundreds of different things. <laughs> Uh, it's just yeah uh, but it, it's 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 cool stuff ESA astronaut uh, Samantha Cristoforetti has become a DJ for a little while uh, a radio DJ <laughs> um, she's got her own radio show on Mixcloud called Songs from Space and basically there's there's interviews with different people and basically playing all the different songs that have been used for wake up calls on different missions and as I say it's called um, Samantha Cristoforetti's Songs from Space and it's on Mixcloud oh, that's pretty cool well I mean you said it's the, the music that they used to wake them up yeah Different. Well, that's copyrighted, so she might have a problem with that. <laughs> Just a little bit, you know. Especially if she's uh, if she's based in the U.S. or the U.K., because you know the Recording Industry Association of America has their long arms of the law, even for the dumbest things. Mm -hmm. So, and just as long as she's careful with that one. Hey, do you remember the old NASA worm logo, as they called it? Very 1980s, yeah. Very 1980s, and surprisingly, <laughs> that one thing I never realized was that is very much love it or hate it. Because I know people who are just like, yeah, we know we like that, and I've got other friends who are just like, oh god, I hate that worm logo. <laughs> Seriously, it's, it's just this is an all or nothing deal. Well, it looks like there are two guys who are they're graphic designers, and they're trying to not retain, but they're trying to preserve the worm logo. They've got a Kickstarter going, and what they're trying to do is compile uh, the NASA Graphics Standards Manual, which was a guidebook that was all about changing it from that meatball look that they eventually went back to. Yep. Uh, changing it from the meatball to the worm logo. And what they're trying to do is make it a basically a white hardcover book, but, you know, restoring it. And I've noticed that the PDF is out there, mm -hmm. but it's just, you know, it looks like they took individual pages out of an old manual and scanned it so you know they're they're offset and angled and tilted and and these guys are actually trying to do it as a hardcover book uh for 80 bucks granted but still just just to try to preserve because really the only place that people remember that from is the space shuttle yeah yeah very much so you know so I, I, I thought that was kind of cool, and it was also kind of funny to hear some people saying, "Oh God, I hate that logo." I was like, "Really? <laughs> it's just a logo. It's just a logo." But oh man, some people hated it. I think you can get get the letters as a, as a font. Actually, I think you can. Uh... That wouldn't surprise me at all. <laughs> I like. I thought it was kind of. You're right. You're right. Very 80s, and it kind of reminds me of. Uh, there used to be a science fiction uh, short story magazine called Omni. Yep, I remember it. Yeah, and, and the font is similar. It's not the exact same. Yeah. But it was that very 1980s, this is what we think of the future kind of look. Yeah, my uh, my friend's dad used to um, subscribe to it. Um, I can okay. always remember it in, in their um, living room. It was a stack of them on the floor. It must have been about 
to about a couple of feet high just these issues of the magazine um i wonder if he's still got them because they're probably worth a bit of money now <laughs> yeah well i know that I, I don't know if it's still there but for a while uh they were actually just recently trying to bring it back online all right uh they were calling it omni reboot i think but they use the same logo and uh, yeah there it is omnireboot.com so i guess it's still there and they were basically just trying to bring it back i was never really into that but still that was just one of the, just just the nasa logo was very similar to that yeah so yeah that kind of Maybe switch tracks on that one. I think I've got uh, a couple of collar pins that are on my, what I call my NASA jacket. (laughs) Even though it isn't just NASA stuff that I've got on there, because I've got ESA patches and I've got a a Union Jack flag on the arm to say that I'm a (laughs) British and... uh, I've actually got a an astronaut. You know the the patch they have with uh, their name on it, and then it's got the wings above it. Right. I've actually got one of those em- embroidered with my name and my call sign on there. Nice. <laughs> I, I actually worked at the National Space Center when we did our the, our journey there, and um, I was. I was half expecting some kids to think I was an astronaut, but uh, it didn't happen. But that would have been cool. <laughs> yeah. It looks like this Omni reboot is not just science fiction short stories. They're, they're going to movies and video games and so stuff they like are that, too. Pretty well, much keeping keep up with the times. Because the, the, even the, the picture that they have on it is of the Mars surface with the streaks and all that. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's another actual new one of the uh, kind of magazines coming out in the UK. Uh, It's probably available in the States as well. It's by the makers of All About Space magazine, and it's called Gadget. You know, it does exactly what it says on the tin, basically. It's just about gadgets and uh, big boys toys, really. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. Now, 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 don't be sexist. It's it's big boys and girls toys. Uh, yeah, yeah, but you know... Steph I mean, would be very disappointed in you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to have a look at it, actually, because um, it's, it's a big problem for me because they, they make um, quite a few good magazines like that. I mean, as I, as I say, there's all about space, there's how stuff works, there's sci-fi now, and now this gadget one as well. All about space is a really good read, uh, and I've been subscribing to it uh, since issue one and uh, I've even had one of my photographs published in there I didn't actually think they would because it's actually called star the, the section in there is called stargazing um, and everybody else that I saw in there that's there that they go oh the, I use this kind of telescope and that kind of equipment and blah 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 and there's me with my bridge camera and uh, it took a really good picture and they said do you mind if we publish it and I went feel free nice yeah there's that all about space I this does not look familiar to me at all I wonder if it's available in the US it looks really freaking cool it is a really good read and I'm actually in touch with one of the uh, they don't actually write for the magazine anymore unless somebody's on vacation but um, he actually writes for the Observer um, newspaper Um, he does the science and space section in in that Um, and um, I'm gonna see if I can get him to come on the show which would be brilliant the strange thing about it is in 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 the back of the the magazine um, they have um, a question section so you can submit your questions to their panel of um, specialists if you like and um, two of their specialists are uh, Zoe Bailey and Josh Barker who are the two people that showed us around the National Space Centre 
<laughs> nice. I thought I'd conducted myself really well with these guys, and then you read their background stories. Um, and Zoe holds a master's degree in interdisciplinary science, which means she's pretty much covered all sciences and loves the topic of space as it unites different disciplines. The other person, um, Josh Barker, having earned a master's in physics and astrophysics, Josh continues to pursue his interest in space at the National Space Centre. Wow. I wonder if... Yeah, it looks like these guys are strictly UK-based. Oh, man. But... No, no, I mean... You know, they might have a, a republish option over here. Or... I mean, I'm not big on this, because I like... I just like having a dead tree in my hands. But maybe they also do digital. They... Yeah, I'm sure they do digital, actually. Hmm. I might have to actually... You know, start using a tablet for reading magazines. <laughs> Not that I don't know. You know me. I love tech, but to me, there's just I, I like I like the paper. I like when it comes to books. I'd rather have a paper. There is something special about um, uh, thumbing through uh, pages, uh, apart from the paper cuts, of course. You know how SpaceX is trying to land the Falcon Nine on that barge? Oh yeah. Have you actually tried it? No. <laughs> you sound confused. Mm-hmm. I don't blame you. There is now a Flash game out there. Yeah, I know, it's Flash, so whatever. You Apple people aren't going to like that. <laughs> but it's the SpaceX Falcon 9 lander, and it's a physics-based lander. And the whole idea is to try to land that damned rocket on that barge. And I will only say this, good luck. They, they try to keep the physics as accurate as possible. You've got a limited amount of fuel. And, dude, it is hard to do. It is really hard. That thing loses control so easily. Are they actually monitoring this? Because that, that might be a case of, hey, we got somebody here who can land the thing. Let's go and employ them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, it plays like an old retro arcade game. You know, so it's got the 8-bit graphics, it's got the 8-bit sound. It's addictive as hell, and it's it's just super hard. Um, Definitely sounds like something we want to put in the show notes. Oh, yeah. So anybody who thinks, God, how how is it so difficult for them to do it? Yeah, you try it with accurate physics applied. (laughs) That's that's all I'll say. You try it. So I have even had it where it was right above the platform, and it was what I thought was a gentle drop down, and the rocket explodes. You know, and then you, you try to send it off too much in a different direction and you just can't recover and it's just it's yeah <laughs> but it's very cool to try yeah I, I think it makes you have empathy for them <laughs> oh my god yes because you figure if you've got you got limited fuel even if you can get really close this thing is really really sensitive to uh descent speed it did anyway if you if you remember the uh uh the first attempt because when that came down really hard, yep. the, the descent rate was quite rapid. I'm sure if you had infinite fuel, you could probably do it after a while. Mm-hmm. But you've got limited fuel, so you can't do that. I mean, they already had to uh, extend the, the amount of fuel that they could put on board anyway mm-hmm. so that they could get it. And, and as we know, it, it nearly got there. It almost did. Yeah, almost did. It landed. <laughs> but I mean, I've been, I've been playing it as we've been talking, and right now, uh, that was my failed attempt number 41. <laughs> and I'm good with physics games, for the most part. 
And this one, nope. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Yeah, I will, I will definitely send you the link to that. And uh, yeah, you try it. <laughs> they can also have whiskey in space now, too. Did you see that? I have seen that. Um, I've <laughs> actually sent these guys a tweet to say, look, um, what's going on? Because uh, there was a big thing about it and then didn't hear anything for a while. They've gotten it. You know, they, they know what it's all about. They were able to, to sample it. Mm-hmm. And they said it definitely is different, mm-hmm. you know, but it, I mean, it's still, was it, or was it Scotch? Well, yeah, scotch it is, is Scotch. Whiskey, yeah, it was, a, it? it was a, a Scotch company. So yeah, Scotch. Yeah, I'm still hoping that uh, they'll talk with us about the process and how they got involved with the space agencies. And uh, well, I mean, be l- quite let's interesting. face it, it's, it's really because of Mars. That's what it comes. I, I can't imagine that they would expect people to be totally alcohol free on the way to yeah, Mars. Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to need Quark's bar when, yep. when we're up on Mars. <laughs> I also saw an old article about how um, reproduction in space is not going to be easy at all either. That's going to be a concern too. Yeah, um, I have thought about that. Yeah, yeah you're not going to have fun with some green Orion slave girl. You no. know, that that's... In a gravity-free environment, first of all, they don't exist, but in a gravity-free environment, apparently, yeah, um, that is not an easy thing to achieve anyway, Mm -hmm. which is like, you know what? I never thought of that. But with the whole thing on Mars, somebody tweeted about that article, which was, I think, 2009, where they talk about it. But still, it's like, you know what? After reading all of that, yeah, try and actually have a colony in space in low or no gravity. Good luck with that. It's, it's going to have to be very clinical the way things are done because... Pretty much. Mm, it, it's all going to be very much test tube-based, if you know what I mean, in that, that yeah, score I, rather than through through, through nat- natural methods. <laughs> yeah, no, I was thinking about that because they're saying, oh, yeah, you know, things like sweating is going to be an issue. Yeah, I... I can see that now. Mm-hmm. Um, velocity issues <clears throat> are going to be a problem. It's like, oh, yeah, I understand that, too. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it's going to so, be a lot of issues. Yeah, this ain't no Star Trek. <laughs> In, until we can find a uh, a gravity generator or, or something, <laughs> yeah. there's going to be issues. That, that's the one thing. The gravity issue is a problem <laughs> for, well, that, for that. Uh, I mean, I guess theoretically they might be able to overcome that by having a uh, <clears throat> private quarters in like some kind of a rotating unit, mm-hmm. you know, to, to try and simulate gravity. Yeah, I was thinking that because um, the first thing that sp- sprang to mind, was, just as you said, that was the uh, the, the rotating thing in um, 2001. 2001. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're on the same wavelength, even though we're 3,000 miles apart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I don't know. You know, I, I keep thinking we'll never see someone on Mars in my lifetime. With a lot of the things that they're coming up with, you know what? I'm starting to rethink that. Things are moving pretty rapidly. To, to people not in the know, it sounds a long time, but um, they're talking like 30, 40 years, aren't they, sort of thing. Yeah. So uh, that's not a long time when you think about it, not in the, the big picture of things. Not really. I mean, granted, I'd, I'd, be, I'd, I'd definitely have a lot of gray hairs by then. Mm-hmm. It, it does look like it might be possible. 
especially with some of the changes they're talking about in propulsion. I mean, not that EM stuff, but uh, some of the other methods in propulsion that they're looking at are actually intriguing. Mm, I think that's that's really I think that's going to be the one thing more than anything else, because right now we're restricted to basically 33 to 36,000 miles an hour. Yeah. If they can find a way to get significantly past that barrier, then who knows? We might even see, you know, Pluto in only a few years instead of 10. Mm-hmm. You know, who knows? Well, I mean, some of the technology you've been talking about recently uh, with the, the plasma drives and things like that, mm-hmm. that is pretty much a step forward to science fiction, you know, if I'm, you think about it. Um, I'm fine with that. <laughs> it's, it is almost Star Trek. <laughs> plasma drive. But, yeah, it's going to be a, a long, long time before we get warp drive. <laughs> a long, Ooh, long time. And, and if we can even get transporters. Oh, my God. Just, I, I can't remember. I'm going to have to talk to my one friend about this who actually is a rocket scientist. But he went through and he calculated based on, you know, uh, if, a, if a positron is, an, is a one and a neutron is a zero or whatever, so that you can convert matter to information... You know, just by going through all that, he calculated roughly how much storage space would be needed for a human. And we're talking like exabytes of information to, transmo- to transmit one human. Yeah, we're not going to see that anytime soon. And, and you're not going to be the same person on the other side, are you, pretty much? Well, I mean, the whole idea is that you would be. Now, I, I guess in a way, though you would kind of actually be a clone of who you were. Because mm, you kind of disassembled and reassembled. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I, <laughs> I don't know. Don't, I, w- I won't volunteer for it. <laughs> no, see, I'm, I'm getting other space-related uh, movies now. I'm, I'm now seeing Spaceballs. <laughs> ludicrous speed! That's what I want. I want to see ludicrous speed before I see transporters. Oh, dear. <laughs> We're stupid, and we're fun with it. Oh, speaking of Star Trek, anybody who has worked with the original, the very original TV series Enterprise, the Smithsonian is asking Star Trek fans to aid in its restoration. So, I mean, I think we've talked about this before, where they're trying to restore the original model uh, that was used in the original filming. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, they don't have enough information on how to properly restore it. You know, when it comes to, you know, just the way everything looked and all of that. So you, you might think, oh, well, hey, it's right there on the Blu-ray or whatever. And they, they want to go into more detail than that. They want this to be as authentic as is humanly possible. And they don't have all of that. So what they're actually looking for is they're looking for anyone who might have photos or even possibly reference materials, you know, genuine authentic reference materials for the original models so that they can be, be able to put it back together again and paint it and all of that. So, you know, because the thing was made out of balsa wood mm-hmm. and a lot of times they only actually had half the model, you know, because a lot of it was just cut away because of weight and lighting and wiring and so forth. So a lot of times what you saw on screen is not a full model. Yeah, I've, so, I've seen them do similar things um, on buildings mm-hmm. uh, where... You only need to see what you need to see. Right. Pretty much. Pretty much. So, yeah, I mean, the thing is, I mean, they had information regarding the three-foot model, but now they're talking about the 11-foot model. And what they want to do 
is restore it back to the way it was for the 1967 episode, Trouble with Tribbles. (laughs) (laughs) So apparently that was the last time that the actual model was altered uh, through the run of the series. So anybody listening to this who might have that kind of information, contact the Smithsonian, please, for the sake of all of us who love Star Trek. The... uh... Trouble with Trebles episode always classic. Also reminds me of that episode of Deep Space Nine. Yep, where they mm-hmm. did the crossover, which was really amazing. That was brilliant. They're like, "Hey, Forrest Gump, look at what they could do." Hmm, let's see what we can do. <laughs> they did such a good job with that. They did. I really enjoyed that episode. Desire a place to get away? How about three? You truly belong here among the clouds on Bespin, the first stop on your Star Tours getaway package. Stay and play in the clouds and enjoy the spectacular Galaxy in the Skies fireworks pageant every single night. The fun continues on the forest moon of Endor, where you'll sleep under the stars with the lovable Ewoks in their charming tribal villages. Your third stop brings you to the peaceful world of Alderaan, where you can relax in a natural wonderland, recently voted safest planet in the galaxy by Hyperspace Traveler. This Star Tours getaway package is three times the fun in one, so ask your travel consultant to book yours today. So a couple of rumors here that are just, hmm, really? Apparently, apparently... And this isn't, okay, in retrospect, this isn't really all that surprising, but it looks like Darth Vader and or Anakin Skywalker might be showing up for Star Wars Episode Eight. Um, yeah, I've heard something like that. maybe Rogue One. Really? Oh, maybe. that would make sense, Rogue One. It would make, Rogue One would definitely make sense. I mean, you got, it's the Death Star and everything, so he would be around and, um probably talking as well but how you would do that would have to be well, cgi I, I doubt they can really do anything with that <laughs> but, uh, apparently the the rumor and again this is this is the rumor that was told so it's third-hand information plus it's a rumor says that uh, a team in the uk are soon heading to the u.s to begin training hayden christensen for star wars episode eight appearance of some sort for episode eight it would have to be a flashback i think so yeah but if it also happens in rogue in uh yeah rogue one that would very likely be present time but at that if it's darth vader it could it be anyone in the suit <laughs> yeah <laughs> pretty <So>, much <laughs> yeah that that's so i mean really in the scope of those two movies it kind of makes sense but not if it's going to be hayden christensen specifically in the suit because that could be anyone but the big one and again this one has to be taken with a large grain of salt this comes from John Landis, you know, the director. Yeah. Yep. According to a, a Q&A that happened with him, he said that Disney is officially going to release the theatrical cuts of the original Star Wars trilogy. Ooh. Now, a couple points here. Um, Ars Technica had an article about this a year or two ago where they said that so much footage was restored for the special edition 
that it would probably only take Disney about a million dollars or so to fully restore the remaining bits. Because apparently mm-hmm. there was only like 10% of the movie was not used. So they would have to restore that 10%, uh, possibly get some film from uh, hardcore fans that still have the 35 millimeter prints, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then restore it that way. So really the, the cost of further restoration to the original series would not be a whole lot of money. And a lot of people have been speculating about this. So this kind of pushes into that, that they'd really be stupid not to because the demand is just so ridiculously high. And then really all they'd have to do is just go to Fox and say, okay, well, you own episode four. So uh, how about we just write you a check? (laughs) You know, what would Fox have to do? Just say, okay, give us money. Mm -hmm. Now, the other part of this, though, what the hell does John Landis have to do with Star Wars? Yeah. um... He's the director for Animal House. You know, and and other such kinds of movies. Uh, he's got nothing to do with Star Wars. How would he know this? Did he have any involvement with Lucas at all? He might have, but not that I'm aware of. Because I know that he was, you know, Lucas and Spielberg and all those kind of and um, sure, uh, sure, sure, sure. Coppler but... and uh, a few of the others used to hang out together, but I don't know if John Landis was part of the same crew. Yeah, I mean, I, I did a quick Google search, and uh, this podcast is not sponsored by Google. And it, <laughs> it just, I didn't find anything that really made a solid link. So that, that's a whole question of, okay, what he's saying makes sense, and it's been rumored and speculated for a long time, especially with Episode 7 coming out in only two months. Mm. But that's one of those things you got to take with a massive grain of salt, you know, just because he's... What's his association with it? Yeah, you know, that part doesn't really make a lot of sense. Not at all, really. But I'm not going to rub it in too much, but just saying, you know, we get it a day before you. But then the French get it a day before us, so. <laughs> <sighs> I heavily dislike you. <laughs> well, hey, you got Danger Mouse already. I'm supposed to wait till spring. That ain't going to happen. No, 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 no. Talking of Danger Mouse... Uh, I've got a, a, an interview uh, that was on uh, British radio recently. Okay, now this is Kevin Eldon, and you'll find out who Kevin Eldon is in a second. I'll be all right. Kevin's going to be all right. Kevin Eldon's here. Look, Kevin Eldon is Hello. here. Can I clap myself? Yeah, you can. Oh, Kevin Eldon, actor, comedian, who you'll know for appearing in iconic comedy shows like Fist of Fun, Big Train, Brass Eye. Oh, Brass Eye. Uh, knowing Me, Knowing You, and Jam. More recently, Kevin's appeared in his own BBC Two sketch show. Yes. It's Kevin, I know, as well as uh, popping up in the likes of Cradle to Grave, Utopia, Stuart Lee's Comedy Vehicle. But now... Much better than all of that. On all of that, Kev is taking on a very different role, starring in CBBC's new version of Danger Mouse. Now, I have to tell you that I didn't really watch the original, but I've seen this one, and then I saw a little bit of the original, 
I have to say that I think that because of the animation, because of your voice, I like this one that you're doing. Now, you're going to split the audience down. I know. The original one, I was in my early 20s when that came out, so I wasn't target audience, I wasn't a little nipper. Right. But I do remember seeing it and just thinking, wow, this is really good, because it was so surreal and it was so sort of off the wall that I thought, this is wasted just on kids. So I used to watch it, so I was a bit of a fan. So when I heard that they were going to remake it, I was at first, whoa, hang on, you know, sometimes you reboot. Not yeah. sure if I like that word. They don't always work. And so I was thinking, now, are they going to be sullying the memory of this marvellous thing? But I saw the scripts and I thought, oh, well, this looks good. It actually genuinely looks really good. I thought the colours were really vibrant, really kind of stood out. Of the new ones, yeah. yeah. The new That's one. not what he wants to hear. He wants to hear about oh, his new, voices. Oh, sorry, yeah. No, 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 no. Let's talk about the animation. The colours were great. It colors. really did look. It really <laughs> did what was your favourite colour? I like the red pillar box. I like the red pillar box. It's the only colour they can be, really. So when the animation, if you look back at animation now, it kind of looks a bit clunky. Technologically, animation has really come on leaps and bounds. But it has kept the general look of it. I mean, all it is is maybe just a little slicker and shinier, but I don't think in a horrible way. Now, you're not Danger Mouse. Uh, you're the sidekick Penfold. So, first of all, for anybody who's not seen Danger Mouse, let's just set up who Danger Mouse is and who Penfold is. Danger Mouse, basically, is a James Bond. It's a James Bond spoof. He's a spy and he uses all kinds of high-tech gadgetry. So what James Bond doesn't have, I suppose, is... A a cowardly sidekick, which is what Penfold is. He's a hamster, not a mole, uh, so he is very faithful to Danger Mouse and helps him out as best he can, and quite often his cowardice is challenged by whatever the script demands, and he has to step up to the plate and help his boss out. And so he often sort of actually triumphs quite well in the face of being a bit of a scaredy cat, scaredy hamster. I scaredy hamster. <laughs> no, Kev, that you won't do the voice, and I respect you for that, because God. the voice has to be done in context. That's what it you get from me. It has to be done in context that it has to be done after many coffees and, <laughs> and uh, half a gallon of honey because it's right up there in the Freddie Mercury range. But I do <laughs> happen to have... Greenback's not a villain anymore, DM. He said it on a chat show. What more proof do you need? Colonel, when is the chief ever wrong? Besides the time he thought that fancy dress party was an alien invasion and blasted the five-year-olds into space, screaming and crying for their mummies never to return to... Probably not the best time to bring that up, Penfold. He's the greatest. He's fantastic. There's danger he'll be there. Whenever there is danger he'll be there. I've never done so much screaming at a job, I don't think. That was a great voice. That's a fantastic voice. Now, the original voice of Penfold was done by... Terry Scott. Terry Scott. And Danger Mouse was done by... David Jason. David Jason, yeah. I guess you were very aware of that. And uh, that was Zander, wasn't it? Zander is doing Danger Mouse, yes. Yeah. And uh, I got the Terry Scott gig. But when I went in for the casting, because lots of people kind of went up for it, they said, we well, don't necessarily have to redo the Scott voice and I had tried other voices see if they'd fit but you know what he had it right that high-pitched voice suits that squiggly little character I think the only difference would be that Terry Scott's voice might be a little bit more posh than the one I've done his was sort of quite Knightsbridge really (laughs) (laughs) but that's the only difference and it just seems to fit the picture Uh, Kevin stars as Penfold in the new series of Danger Mouse which starts tonight at 6pm on CBBC very nice to see you thank you very much Kevin thanks very much I'm going to talk to you I'm going to cut myself out Ah, 
I am so not waiting until spring. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't normally advocate BitTorrent, but damn it, it's 2015. There is no reason why you guys can't get Hollywood stuff the day after we get it. No, time difference. And there's no reason why we can't get UK stuff the same day that it happens. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense, does it? This is idiotic. Ah, first world problems. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is awesome. But um, And so many people in the audience right now are probably saying, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> they don't understand. They don't understand. <laughs> Why are you guys talking about this? Go back to space stuff. <laughs> well, there is quite a lot of space stuff in this one. Uh, actually, today's one was... Um, uh, about a an alien plant that actually spoke with a Welsh accent, which was um, <laughs> a little shop of horrors. <laughs> kind of <laughs> feed me. It, it kind of took over the the, the whole of London, and uh, <laughs> and uh, pretty much what saved the day was that um, Penfold is addicted to making jams and jellies and that kind of thing, and it's the only thing that could kill off the plant. Um, <laughs> Yeah, the humor is just as bizarre as the original one. <laughs> see, see, the, the BBC, it's your own damn fault that I'm going back to BitTorrent. <laughs> this is Arnold J. Rimmer from Red Dwarf. You're listening to TGP Nominal. Listen to it. Going back to... Um to Star Wars in September we had the uh, Force Friday and, and all the hype that was behind it uh, I, I gather you've had a, a look at some of the uh, the merchandise that's become available this month a few um, I've, I've heard mixed reactions to them I mean I've, I've heard that some of the spacecraft are not as good as they could be I've heard that what do you mean um, manufacturing problems <laughs> like really? um, on the X wing the um, the nose cone is uh, not straight shall we say it, it veers off to the side a little bit Ooh. Uh, that kind of thing I, I don't know whether that was just them rushing to get them out and the, and the mold wasn't quite ready or, or what be. but um, yeah and then there's there, there is some tat out there <laughs> huh. guaranteed to be um, there always is with the launch of a, a, a movie like this, but there are some really good figures out there as well. That remote control BB-8 came out, and you know what? I thought about it. It's cute, but you know the thing is only about three or four inches tall, mm -hmm. and it's completely controlled by your phone. Yeah, it doesn't do anything natively except I mean it'll wander around the room but it's got no cameras or sensors on its own. All the sound comes from your phone, and they want 150 bucks for that. Yeah, it's about 100 and 130 pounds, yeah. Yeah, it's like, uh, no. Make uh, it, you know, give it a little bit more intelligence and, and stuff like that, maybe. They'll probably do something with that. Probably, yeah. probably. Uh, Although, that uh, Millennium Falcon quadcopter, don't call it a drone. <laughs> That's cool. I got one of those. Yes, I saw you playing with it. Got one of them. Yeah, I, I, no, I, can, I, I can actually fly it. Well, what's weird is that I'm so used to the helicopters where the yaw is on the same control as the pitch. Mm -hmm. So you can use one joystick to make it go forward and make its turns and all of that. The way they did it on this one is that the, the, the forward and backward 
controls the whether it slides left or right. Okay. Instead of an actual yaw turning, so you have to use the actual up and down, you know, a lift or lift or drop one that controls it. So here you are watching it go forward, and then you try to make a turn. It's like, oh no, that makes it slide sideways. I don't want that. So then you have to remember to use the stick. You know, it's like all of the all of the RC helicopters that I've ever flown use the the yaw and the pitch on the one controller and mm-hmm. they kind of flipped it on this one. It's like, really guys? And that, that it takes a while to get used to. But it's actually kind of cool because if you have the sounds on, the sounds come from, come from the controller and it's got some kind of communication back and forth with the actual Millennium Falcon. It's, it's kind of cool. It's made out of styrofoam, so it's pretty darn durable. Mm-hmm. The whole thing lights up. You know, the, the engine's got that nice bright blue color to it that yep. we're used to. But it's funny that if you do crash hard, all of a sudden you hear an alert sound coming from the controller. <laughs> you know, and otherwise, if you're just flying it around, it's just making sounds like you're doing the Falcon and, and so forth. But man, you, when you crash, it lets you know that you screwed up. It's actually really cool. And that one was only 90 bucks. That's not bad. That's what... Not uh, really. Not really. That's, that, that's not a bad price for what it is. Yeah, it's not bad. Well, I mean, okay, Grant, I got it on sale. The, 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 I guess the 120 bucks is the, the manufactured suggested retail price, but I actually found it for 90 And I was like, that's, yeah, that's mine. And they had a whole shelf worth of it, too. So I was like, done. I um, saw a couple of first order uh, Stormtroopers in mm-hmm. uh, in one of the stores local that are all oh, about a couple of feet tall. <laughs> oh, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, it's about 30 30 pounds i think something like that you're talking um, weight or cost in in cost car so, so i say i'm a yankee i don't know these things. you know i gotta you gotta specify this <laughs> <laughs> you know 30 quid okay i get that <laughs> but um they they also had some of the old school ones because they got darth vaders and they've got chewbacca's as well yeah my son's got a, a darth vader you know, about three feet tall mm-hmm. and it was about 40 bucks so i was contemplating that but i thought no i'm gonna save my money till um next july yeah uh, they're, all, they're also releasing official costume helmets and so forth mm-hmm. that look they, they look really cool but they're also like three four hundred bucks um, yeah, i think i'll just keep on that now two of the items that have been made available are i think they're about 12 inch uh, action figures and they are, uh, they've got a, a Kylo Ren and they've got a Finn one. And they are talking action figures. So it'll be the, the, this is the first time you've actually heard the characters speak. And I've actually got some of uh, what you probably will hear, what you will hear. Now, I was quite surprised with this. Um, this, is, this is Finn. My name's Finn and I'm in charge now. We go back to Jakku, we die. Stay low, put up the shields. Now, first thing that okay. comes to mind, uh, the guy's from Peckham, and he's got an American accent. <laughs> that drives me nuts. Why do they do that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, especially when you consider that traditionally, uh, British accents were used for the Empire. Mm. And he is a member of what was the Empire. 
So I don't know. That drives me nuts. And, and I'm, I'm assuming that Daisy Ridley lost her accent for the movie as well. Um, as far as I'm aware, she's going to have a British accent. Is, is she? Okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that's that's fine. I have no problem. I would rather hear that, to be honest. But he's, he's got that. He's given it that kind of, you know, I've had a kind of messed up day. He's given it that dirty Harry. You know, he's got that kind of thing going on. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. But uh, some of the things there, it's, it's quite, one of the things he says there is a code number, which is FS2187. No idea what that's in reference to. No. Um, so it'll be interesting to find out what that's about. He seems frustrated a lot <laughs> as a character. Well, yeah. I mean, if you look at the trailer and so forth, it looks like he is... It's like he was a stormtrooper who just snapped and couldn't deal with being a stormtrooper anymore mm -hmm. so kind of makes sense now the interesting one here is um the kylo ren um now people have said that he's got a british accent even though adam driver's american but i don't think it sounds british uh, i think it sounds as british as james earl jones to be honest with you <laughs> but um have, have a listen see what you think I've been waiting for this day for a long time. Is it true? You're just a scavenger. Don't be afraid. I feel it too. You know what I've come for. Don't fight it. You know you can't. I'm immune to the light. That weapon is mine. Together, we will destroy the Resistance and the Last Jedi. Okay, okay. As an Anglophile, there is no flipping way that's a British accent. That's what I thought. <laughs> no. Sorry. He, he, he was very hard on his R's. And j no, no, that, that is not a British accent. That is a Yankee accent for sure. Mm -hmm. But some some interesting context there, really. Things that were saying, you know, uh, we will destroy the Resistance and the Last Jedi, that kind of thing. It's, it's predictable. But yeah. um, now gives you a bit of background to him because now you kind of kind of heard what he sounds like right in the movie um although it, it's not the best because it's coming from a, a toy <laughs> yeah and, and there are a lot of things coming out about it and um, i'm not really going to talk about them because it could reach spoiler territory oh dear but well you know i don't get that i really <laughs> you've heard me rant on that one on, on yeah my podcast there's not but, a chance uh, on earth that anybody who is a true Star Wars fan is going to go, Shh, I'm not going to watch it, too many spoilers. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. And you, you could tell me the entire story right now. I don't care. I will be there. I will absolutely be there. If not opening day, then opening weekend. Doesn't matter to me. But some of the things have come out that probably shouldn't have come out that are kind of bringing into question the whole thing about is he a Sith? Is he not? Uh, you know, uh, is is John Boyega's character uh, Finn? Is, is he a Jedi? Is he not? Well, a friend of mine did something really clever with that when people were saying that, just because he's carrying a lightsaber. Now, cast your mind back to Empire Strikes Back. There's a scene with Han Solo carrying oh, a lightsaber. Wait, 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 no, 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 no. That's no. a stretch. No, no, what I'm saying is he's got a lightsaber, right? As a still, that can be taken out of context completely. And that is exactly what they're doing with this. 
in that in the latest international teaser though they show him igniting it and getting into a defensive stance he, now the, it's pretty clear from that he's going to use it as a weapon oh yeah of course use it as a knife he's found he's found this lightsaber right he's trying to get in touch with the resistance to say i've got this lightsaber now somebody is chasing him through the forest and the only means of defense you've got is a lightsaber you're going to use it. Okay, true, true, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, I guess, I guess we'll find out in December. <laughs> Definitely. But now, to go back to you know sci-fi and tech and, and space and all that, did you see the uh, 360 VR experience? Not VR, but what could easily turn into a VR experience that they did uh, they post it on Facebook, but it, it's, you know, VR is becoming a big thing now, yeah, yeah. whether it's Oculus Rift or, or uh, you know, Steam's version or Samsung's version, the Gear VR. Mm-hmm. But now YouTube is also kind of doing it with video, where if it's a VR video, yes, it's still in 2D, but you can take your mouse and you can scroll all the way around to watch the different parts of the video as it's playing. Yes, Yes. Um, Did you see the one for The Force Awakens? Um, with the speeder bike. With the speeder bike going yes. past that crashed uh, Star Destroyer. Oh, yeah. That was very cool. And then you've got the other speeder bike thing that comes alongside you and tr- tries to hit you a little bit as you go yeah. past. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> that one. I, I am so freaking pumped for this movie. They are really pulling out all the stops for this, I think. They really are going to town on it. Um, well, I think they need to. Plus, the, and let's face it, both J.J. Abrams and Kathleen Kennedy know that if they screw this up, the fans will never forgive them. Mm. They know they've got to do this right. Yeah, they've got they've got to do it some justice. I mean, it must be good. All oh, the scripts must have been good um, for the original cast to actually say yes, we'll do this. Especially Harrison Ford. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is. He's been quoted as saying he hates Han Solo. (laughs) (laughs) So is that probably the reason why you think that Episode 7 may be uh, Han Solo's last journey? Well, no, I mean, he he has... There's been a lot of articles out there saying that if he plays Han Solo again, he wants the character to be killed off. Whether he actually maintains that with this, because obviously you can change your mind over time. Maybe he saw the script and thought wow, you know what? That's actually really well written. Um, maybe I'll go back on that and you know, go on to the next one if, if my character is going to be a part of it. Who knows? But uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be cool. I can't wait. Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialize in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, Spanhead productions.weebly.com that's spamheadproductions.weebly.com so that was our birthday show i hope 
everyone enjoyed it as much as we always have fun uh, making the podcast yeah once again anybody out there that has been listening from the world space week website thanks for joining us um yes go to our website which is www.tgpnominal.weebly.com and look at the uh, podcast tab and you'll be able to see all the other podcasts that we've done in our first year and uh, I think you'll be surprised at the uh, the amount of guests uh, and people that we've spoken to and uh, hopefully we're going to have a lot more of that to come once again thanks john for joining me anytime my friend anytime take care everyone and i'll speak to you again soon toodles well that about wraps it up for this episode of tgp nominal be sure to visit www.tgpnominal.weebly.com for the show notes for this or any other episode just look for the relevant tab on the menu let us know what you think of the show send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com because your input is our output. Or you can use the social media icons at the top of the page that include Twitter and Facebook. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also TuneIn and Stitcher On Demand Radio. Don't forget to rate and review us. You can also listen to rebroadcasts of all our shows on the Awake Radio group. You can find a link on our podcast pages. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages and don't forget to spread the word about us. Station, this is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event.